The scripture for today's sermon comes from Matthew 6, 16 through 21. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is God's word to us. Thanks, Tally. How's everybody doing? Good. A little more energy than the 9 a.m. That's good. Hey, if you don't know me, my name's Matt, and I'm one of the pastors here. And my primary role at the church is to be the pastor to teenagers. And so just keep bringing those prayers as much as you possibly can um, on a regular basis. But um, one thing that we get to do, we haven't got to do in a couple years that I'm really excited about, is we're going to camp this week. And so... Um, Yeah, yeah, and so um, I'm really excited. We're going to leave on Wednesday, get back on Saturday, Um, but uh, one thing we'd love for you to do is um, pray for us and and pray for this this coming week, and one of the uh, really kind of fun ways that um, it's an ingenious way that someone else thought of that wasn't me um, for you to remember to pray for us is there's some bracelets that are going to be out in the hallway that you can slap one of those bad boys on your wrist next to your watch. So every time you look at what time it is, you're going to see a kid's name um, and then you're going to pray for him. And so I'd love for you to do that this week. And uh, if you're a parent in here that your kid's going to camp, don't take your kid's name. That's cheating. <laughs> you need to pray for them anyways. <laughs> Um, don't even take a kid you know. Um, pray, t- take a, a kid's name that you don't know. But, um, but yeah, so please, uh, please join us in doing that this week and just praying that God will move in the lives of teenagers in our church and in our city. So, well, before we jump in, I want to pray for us. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. And um, we just want to ask today that we would be good stewards of it, that we wouldn't neglect any of it, that... Um, that it would be a treasure to us and that it would inform the way that we live our lives, not so that we can be a bunch of rule followers, but so that we can, in an even greater and more beautiful way, encounter the living God of the universe on a regular basis. And so um, would you help us today to understand your word um, and to be inspired by it? And we pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. Amen. Well, I, I am excited about camp, but there is one thing about camp that is like, well, there's a lot of things about camp that sometimes aren't exciting as an adult, but um, one thing that is a little bit like complexing and frustrating at times is what we'll call the camp high, and so some of you have experienced this before. If you've never experienced the camp high, let me fill you in on what I'm talking about. So we're going to create a fictional character, parents, this isn't your kid. Um, His name is John, and he's 16, and he is having a really difficult time engaging with God here at home. He doesn't really have a desire to. He's so distracted by all the things of the world, and somehow we're able to convince this guy to go to camp. And so he goes, and this really incredible thing happens. He has a genuine encounter with the living God of the universe, Not some just, you know, fleeting experience, um, but God actually speaks and he hears his voice. 
something that he's maybe never experienced before in his entire life, or maybe something he hasn't experienced since last year at camp, um, and he's experiencing it again. Richard Foster, who uh, is the author of the book um, Celebration of Discipline, uh, he, he says this. He says, parents send their children to summer camp and the children come back thrilled because God spoke to me. And what happened at camp was this. They simply were freed of enough distraction for a long enough period of time that they were able to concentrate. And that's amazing, but the reason why I say it's frustrating, (laughs) from time to time as, as a student pastor, what happens is that same kid, John, I look up 30 days later and he's wilding out again. Um, and doing all the things that he was doing before he left. And many of you have experienced this. Like, you've experienced this. You've, you've had, like, a spiritual mountaintop experience that has dissipated and it's gone away. I chased it my entire life um, so far as well, my entire teenage life. Um, every time I would go to camp, I would have these experiences and then come home, and it would get more difficult um, the, the further I got away from camp. Or, say, I was the one that invited John to camp, and I was so stoked that he, he had this encounter with Jesus, and then I look up a couple weeks later, and he's not not even remotely following him um, at all. And what is fascinating to me is that this quote from Richard Foster is actually referring to the spiritual discipline of fasting. The spiritual discipline of fasting. Um, and and uh, what's fascinating about it is this idea that he's making uh, or drawing a direct correlation between us more clearly hearing from God and our distractedness are more clearly hearing from God in our distractedness. That by removing something from our lives, we might actually find the thing we need in the first place. We might find the thing that we thought we were chasing and that we are actually missing. And what's crazy as well about the heart of God is he actually wants us to be able to maintain these deeper, undistracted communions with him. To hear his voice, to experience his love in a really profound way. Not in some fleeting way, but in a really profound way. And the reality is that we're all hungry people. We're all hungry people. We have things that we desire. We have things that we, we really want. It's the put the gun to my head, what do you really want um, question that sometimes is a little bit daunting because maybe we don't want to know what the actual answer is, even ourselves. But we're hungry people. We're longing to be fed by something. And what an incredible life it would be, Right? if the same experience that these kids are gonna have in a couple days at camp would be something that lasted and it happened for all of us as we pressed in to this really profoundly and life-changing discipline of fasting. And so we're gonna talk about a lot of things this morning, what it is, like why you would, some reasons why you would fast, like the big why behind it. But before anyone tunes out, I wanna talk about who is supposed to fast. I want to answer the question of who is supposed to fast. And so turn with me, if you have your Bible, to Matthew chapter 6, um, and we'll get there uh, shortly, but Matthew chapter 6. So, so growing up, I, I never knew anybody that fasted. Um, so they were either like really good at following the Bible um, in Matthew chapter 6, and, uh, and, and were good at hiding it and, and uh, taking showers per the, the text, um, but, uh, or they just didn't do it at all. And so I grew up with this mindset that fasting was something that you did if you were like the spiritual elite, 
Or maybe after you had been a Christian for 30 years, then you would start, or if you became a pastor, or you were some you know, theologian from an old dead guy, they fasted. Um, or maybe you were my grandmother, who is the godliest woman on the planet, and if it was a contest, she would defeat us all. Um, <laughs> but it wasn't for me. It wasn't for just the average, everyday Christian. Um, and so, of course, I neglected it, and, and neglected it into my adult years, and many of you would say you've probably had the same experience with this as well. Um, and so, so to answer the question of who is supposed to fast, I want to look really quickly at Matthew chapter 6. So we're going to start in verse 1. We're going to jump around a little bit. But it says, beware of, the pra- beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. And then a few verses later in verse 5, it says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, you have received they receive their reward. But then if we jump down to verse 16, it says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, their fasting may be seen by others. But truly I say to you, they have received their reward. See, Jesus is using the same language all throughout this entire passage of scripture. When you give to the needy and care for the poor, when you pray and when you fast, He's not veiling the fact that he's expecting of all of his disciples to participate in this spiritual practice in the same way that we would pray and we would take care of the needy. But you'd be hard-pressed, if we're being honest, you'd be hard-pressed to find a Christian that um, would debate you on the fact that you're supposed to pray or that would hold up in high esteem the idea of caring for the poor and the needy, but even though there probably are a lot of people in this room that do fast, the number's a lot lower of us that actually have a desire to hold up this discipline in the same way that we do the rest of Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount. But it's clear, though, through this text that Jesus himself actually expects his disciples to fast. Um, An old old, uh, English pastor named Andrew Fuller said it about as clearly as you can. He said, fasting is supposed to be the ordinary practice of the godly. It's supposed to be the ordinary practice of the godly. So before we go any further, um, I want to take a moment and invite us into just a time of introspection together, examining of our own hearts. Because before we can jump into what fasting is or why, why you should even fast, there is this gnawing thing in the back of my mind where I've neglected this verse for a long time. Um, in my life. And so it would be good for us to ask ourselves, like, what is it that is keeping me from fasting? And in conjunction with that, what is it that I'm actually maybe more hungry for than God? What is it that's keeping me from fasting? And what's fitting is that for most of us, including me, um, the reasons that we might have for fasting, from fasting, if you will, are the very things that God has a desire to remedy through fasting. The very things that are very excuses, the reasons why, are the very things that he has a desire to fix and to remedy through the actual practice of fasting. So for us, it's a win-win situation. 
as we become closer to Jesus and we walk with him. And, and so, and what else is, the other thing that's encouraging to me about this is if Jesus expects it, that means it's totally accessible to anyone that has the power of the Spirit. <laughs> Any Spirit-led Christian on the planet can fast, and it's accessible to you. It doesn't mean you have to be a pastor or have 30 years as a Christian under your belt or be a seminary student or have some degree from somewhere. God and his love for us has actually made these disciplines, in particular this one, really accessible to all of us that would call ourselves a disciple of Jesus. So, Jesus is clear when he makes this distinction that it's expected of us to fast. So yeah, this is a sermon about fasting, um, but uh, this is not a sermon about the fasting that some of you might have in your brain. So let me remove for a moment uh, intermittent fasting from everyone's brain. Let's wipe it away. Um, I, I, and I'm not hating on intermittent fasting or any kind of like fasting for dietary purposes. Uh, I too have dabbled in that art a few times. Um, it's kind of hard to tell. I could, I could take a few more meals off. Um, but we're not talking about health fasting. What we're talking about is spiritual biblical fasting. Um, spiritual biblical fasting. Yes, if you were to fast for biblical reasons, you might experience some physical things that are actually good for your body, but that's not what we're after. Um, We're talking about spiritual fasting, Christian fasting. Um, So simply put, Christian fasting is a spirit-led abstaining from something for spiritual purposes. It's a spirit-led abstaining from something for spiritual purposes. Um, Or as Donald Whitney would put it, abstaining from something for the purpose of godliness. Abstaining from something for the purpose of godliness. Distinct from intermittent fasting or a hunger strike or biblical fasting at its core is done for the purpose of experiencing in a deep and powerful way the living God of the universe and to hyper-focus better and better strengthen our prayers. Not in a manipulative way, as well as we'll see in a minute, but in a distraction-freeing way that we can better focus on God. And you can fast in a lot of ways. Like, um, there's a lot of good biblical examples of this. Jesus himself fasted for 40 days from all food. This sounds really difficult. Um, Daniel fasted, the Bible says, from three days from not all food, but uh, delicacies, so meat and wine and the delicacies of, of the day. Esther, um, uh, in, in, a, in a dangerous moment in the, in the history of the people of Israel, fasted from food and water for three days. She was in desperation for God to deliver her people. Um, and, but fasting also always doesn't have to deal with food, guys. It doesn't always have to deal with food. Though the vast majority of times it will, um, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's one of the greatest pastors to ever walk God's green earth, had this to say. He said, fasting, if we conceive of it truly, must not be confined to the question of food and drink. Fasting should really be made to include abstinence from anything which is legitimate in and of itself for the sake of some special spiritual purpose. There are many bodily functions which are right and normal and perfectly legitimate, but which for special peculiar reasons in certain circumstances, this guy's language is crazy, should be controlled, and that is fasting. And this is also where the discipline of solitude comes into play. Um, Some of us um, are are inundated with so much noise um, and so much presence of people that we need to literally fast from it for a period of time. Because our families are legitimate gifts from God and good things. Our jobs are legitimate gifts from God and good things. But just like our brother Jesus, 
We can um, retreat to the wilderness for a time um, of solitude and silence so as to better hear the voice of God and to seek his face. And you may be here and, and throughout your life you've struggled with an eating disorder. There's ways for you to experience this life-changing practice that doesn't mean dabbling in things that might bring back some sinful bents that you've run down before. But in most cases, though, fasting has to do with food. And also, in most cases, fasting is a very private thing. It's a very private thing. Um, Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. It says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. But truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. In short, this is not an Instagram-worthy experience. Um, this isn't something that you compose a, a full-length tweet about to let everybody know that you're beginning and then let them know how it went. The majority of the time, fasting is something that, that is experienced um, privately. It's something that, that we do um, so that we can better see and hear, see the face of God and hear his voice. Though, there's times um, when it's totally legitimate for us to fast together as a church and cry out to God for something for you to fast together as a community group. Um, the, what, the knock on the hypocrites, not the, hip, the hypocrites and the Pharisees in this uh, actual text that we're seeing right here is, um, it isn't necessarily that, that, they, that anyone knew that they were fasting, it was why people knew that they were fasting. They wanted everyone to know so that they would be seen as righteous and seen as holy. And so the food that they were actually trying to fill themselves with wasn't God. It was the opinions of others and their esteem. But there's plenty of room for us to fast together. But generally, fasting is something that we do um, privately. And it's not to gain something um, from other people, but to seek the face of God in a really beautiful way. And so with that being said... Um, one question you might have is like, why would I, why, what, for what reasons would I fast? Like, what are some actual reasons that, that Christians would fast? I've got four. Um, there's like 72,000 probably, uh, but I've got four. And so this is not an exhaustive list, um, but this is just a few reasons why you might fast. Um, but before uh, we jump into reasons why you might fast, um, I want to give one caveat, and that's reasons why you shouldn't fast. Or one reason why you shouldn't fast. My, my good friend, Kevin Colley, um, I've heard him multiple times in the last couple weeks referring to fasting and saying a couple different things. First, we don't fast to get God's attention. You already have God's attention. God knows your every need. We fast to give God our attention. We fast to give God our attention. Oh, to put it, or to put it in another way, we don't fast to make ourselves hungry. We fast because we are hungry. We fast because we are hungry. So with that being said, let's look at a few reasons really quick why, why you might fast. The first reason might be for, for God's guidance or for his wisdom uh, in your life. You may be at a crossroads with a couple different decisions. Um, I know many of you are losing sleep at night because of decisions you have to make, whether they're about your, your immediate future or distant future. Some of you are in between jobs and you're, you're desiring to, to have the right job, the job that, that God wants you to have. Um, and you might be being invited into a time, not just of prayer, but of fasting in prayer. Acts chapter 13 um, 
has this to say. It says, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manny, and a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. I don't know why I picked this verse with all the names in it. <laughs> While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Maybe you have a deep desire to know God's plan for your life and the next step for your life. And the invitation that we see even here from apostles is that you would fast and pray and ask God to show you what's next. Secondly, you might um, need to fast and pray for the purpose of deliverance or protection. Deliverance or protection. Um, you, you may be under actual intense spiritual attack and even physical attack, emotional attack. Some of you are, are, are really, really, really trying to live on mission um, in your workplace, and that's proving to be a very difficult thing because instead of um, feeling like you're seeing fruit, you're feeling like you're experiencing attack from, from your coworkers. This may be you um, within your own family trying to, to live for God in the midst of a family who's hostile to, to the gospel, and not even for your own self, but you may feel the desire to pray for and fast for the deliverance of others from pain and destruction. We prayed a little while ago that God would um, administer his justice for the unborn. Maybe um, God's calling you to not just pray for that, but to fast and pray for these things. So you can pray and you can fast for um, deliverance. In the book of Esther, um, in chapter four, we see this, in this really harrowing moment in the history of the church, facing destruction and annihilation. Um, it says in verse 15, then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. And do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king. Though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. And Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. And God responded by delivering his people. So you could fast for deliverance and protection. Thirdly, you could fast in your fight against sin. Many of you in the room, um, uh, and, and I'll say many of us in the room because I've been there, um, have um, struggled with um, just unrepentant sin um, uh, in our lives, things that we are trying so hard to defeat and trying so hard um, to get away from. Maybe it is that you're just an angry person and you can't get a hold of your anger. You're lashing out at your family, your coworkers, everybody around you. You don't know what to do. Maybe you should fast and pray. Maybe you've uh, been addicted to pornography since you were 12 years old. Nothing else has worked. And you should consider not just praying and fleeing temptation, but also fasting and praying for God to rid you of this evil. Jesus famously took 40 days to fast before beginning his earthly ministry. And the first thing that the devil himself does is he comes to him and he tempts him with food. The Bible says that Jesus was hungry and then it proceeds to tell us that the first thing the devil tempted him with was food. But Jesus was able to, to flee and fight this temptation. Donald Whitney, um, in his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, says, in the spiritual strength of that prolonged fast, he was prepared to overcome a direct onslaught of temptation from Satan himself. Not one of his hired minions or the lesser demons, but Satan himself. 
because of the prolonged fast that he had just endured and the spiritual energy that he had. So maybe you need to fast in light of the sin in your life. And then lastly, maybe you just need to fast um, to remind yourself of your need for God and the sufficiency for God, of God. You know, it's incredibly easy to be rocking along, if, if I could say so myself, um, and uh, rocking along the life and to fill our time with all sorts of things that are really good gifts and lull ourselves to sleep and forget that our need for God is actually supreme to our need for other things. Food and drink, entertainment, your family. And in the process, we get lulled to sleep, to have our need to God, for God himself to be dulled. Maybe you're a, a stay-at-home mom and you're tired and discouraged from days on end of homeschooling kids and, and you need to be reminded of God's ultimate sufficiency to provide for your physical needs, your energy, what you need to get through the day. Dallas Willard, um, who's one of the premier minds um, in the history of the church when it comes to spiritual discipline, most of the books you've read, they ripped him off somehow. Um, and, uh, and he says this, he says, the role of fasting is to teach you about the sufficiency of God when you are deprived. It's to teach you about the sufficiency of God when you're deprived. And he goes on to talk about how he will fast just to reacclimate himself to the fact that God provides for his physical needs as well as his emotional and spiritual needs. And what's even more interesting is he goes on um, uh, to talk about how he knows that when he's particularly exhausted from either a life in ministry or just life in general, that he knows from that moment that he needs to enter into a fast. He doesn't need to veg out in front of Netflix um, for a period of time to rest. Um, and he says he does so because the energy, the renewal of the energy um, from God is how he actually overcomes exhaustion. And so maybe we need to fast in order to just be reminded of the fact that we aren't strong enough to do this by ourselves and we need the energy that God provides. And, and in a really beautiful way, um, fasting is a reset button for both our souls and our bodies. Our souls and our bodies. So that might feel a little bit daunting. Um, I, I, I actually understand how this, this sounds. It's like, okay, Matt got up here and he talked about how Jesus fasted for 40 days from food. Um, and then Daniel fasted for three weeks. And then Esther fasted for, for, from food and water for three days. I don't even know what that would be like. Um, and my goal is not to um, actually like dissuade you from attempting to fast. Um, but my, my goal is for, for you to understand this is also really accessible for us. Um, and that you don't have to start by ripping the Band-Aid off, all right? This is not one of those things where it's like, all right, I'm gonna do a 40-day fast from food. No, I've never done this before. Um, I, like to, I like to run. I'm kind of a masochist, and then I like to go out in the heat and run. Um, not really the heat, but I like to run. Um, and, uh, and it would have been, really, um, been really dumb for me to just go run a, run a marathon um, right off the bat. I would have been one of those guys on the news that you heard about that died, um, running a marathon, and I wouldn't have been close to the finish line either. I would have been, I may have, may have made it to the 13-mile mark, but, um, but the reality is that when I started running, I had to, I had, not only did I have to run a mile, but I had to like run down the street and back um, to prepare myself to run a mile. Um, and in the same way, with the spiritual disciplines, in particular with something like fasting, um, you don't need to feel the need to rip the Band-Aid off and start huge. You can start small and build yourself up if you so desire. Um, G.K. Chesterton uh, had this kind of brilliant quote, but if a thing is worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. 
or badly. It's worth doing badly. But thing is worth doing, it's worth doing badly. So feel free to start simple. You can fast from lunch for a week um, and, and to see what, what goes on. You know, you may fast for, for, from lunch for a week and pray for your coworkers there in that lunch hour um, and cry out or cry out to God for whatever he's leading you to through the spirit um, to fast. And you may do that and decide, I don't need to go any longer or any further. Lunch is fine. Um, but you may feel led by the spirit to try 24 hours and dinner to dinner. Many of you have done that before um, for other reasons, um, but not for the same reasons as we're, we're laying out here. And if you still feel led by God, you can extend it further and further um, down the line. But, um, but even on top of food, um, there's this need for us as people in this cultural moment right now to, to be honest with ourselves. We feed on all sorts of things. We feed on others' opinions way too much, me included. Um, and our desire to flip through social media for, for hours on end um, is a testament to that. And so maybe God will highlight something through the power of the Spirit that he wants you to lay down for a period of time so that you could better hear his voice um, and seek his face. And so all this being said, um, at the core of my hope for us today uh, is not just that you would know what fasting is or some ways, but that we would understand why this is important. They would understand why God's given us this discipline to walk out. Um, and so after Jesus had been 40 days without food, and after Satan comes directly and tempts him with the one thing that he probably wanted in his physical body then more than anything, Jesus' response was this. He said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And then later on in the Sermon on the Mount, we just read chapter 6, verse 19. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroyed and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So friends, we don't fast to make ourselves hungry. We fast because we are hungry. And the only thing that can feed that hunger properly is God, what he has to offer us. We fast in order to seek and find our true treasure. It's only found in him. Dallas Willard, again, in his book, The Spirit of the Discipline, said, fasting confirms our utter dependence upon God by finding in him a source of sustenance beyond food. Fasting unto our Lord is therefore feasting. Feasting on him and doing his will. So fasting is feasting. Fasting at its core isn't about the thing that we're abstaining from, but it's about the thing that we're feasting on. So God's been gracious to us and that he's given us these rhythms of grace so that we could experience him on a much deeper level than we ever thought or imagined possible. Not as legalistic rules that we have to follow to a T to be more holy, but so that we can see the, the face of God and hear his voice in a really clear and beautiful way. And I don't know about you, but I think I'm willing to lay down a few things for that more than I am just to follow some rules. And so my prayer for us today is that we wouldn't fast to make ourselves hungry, but we'd fast because we are hungry. And then we would consider this morning what the things are that we are actually hungry and thirsty for. Let's pray together.
Father, I, I'm grateful for, for your word. And God, I, I, need to, I, feel, I feel the need to actually like repent and, and ask for your forgiveness for how many times I personally have just like glossed over this scripture and seen it as a, a heavy taskmaster as opposed to something that's a grace to me. And so I ask today that we wouldn't feel beaten down by this, but we'd feel energized by the fact that you want to you wanna engage with us and meet with us in such a way that you've given us tools to do so. And so I pray for my brothers and my sisters in the room that, that God, that you would identify for us what we're hungry for and what we're thirsty for, and would you make them pale in comparison to you? Not our families, not our jobs, not the amount of money we have, God, not, not the actual physical food we're about to have for lunch. God, God would, you, would you help everything else to pale in comparison to you? Would we think about you day and night as we eat, as we drink, as we celebrate, as we fast? God, would you be our true food and our true drink? And we pray this, God, hoping that you will answer our prayers and do this for us as a church and as individuals. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.